Hey church, Pastor Adam here, and I want to say thank you so much for stopping by to join us for Church Online today. And, and while we are super stoked that you're hanging out with us this morning, we do want to remind you that really this is just is supplemental. And man, it just cannot replace the local church in your life. And so look, we hope that you are encouraged and, and challenged and shaped by today's message that's being preached. Uh, but, but also, we don't want to be uh, your substitute. Uh, for the local church body that you should be involved in. We really do believe that the local church is God's plan A in reaching the world. So with that being said, please come hang out with us in person uh, one Sunday. If you're in Paducah in the area, come hang out with us to get some rest or find a local Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church that you can get plugged in and connected to. Uh, Jesus loves the church and and we love Jesus and, and we believe that we can better serve uh, Jesus, if we love his church well. So, welcome to rest. What is up, Rest Church? We got feedback helping that, man. So, first off, I mean, for those of you that don't know me, my name's John, and I am super humbled and grateful to be one of the pastors here at Rest. And I can say just from this morning, from a worship leader's heart of sitting over there and worshiping and not being up here, the entire church singing to the point of drowning out the, the team is what it's about. And that, like, I can worship Jesus with you people for the rest of eternity. Haha, because we will, right? All right. So before, yeah. So before we continue into our new text today, we have been. If you guys are with us for the first time today, or maybe you've been part of what we're doing, we are walking line by line, verse by verse, word by word, through Paul's magnum opus of the gospel, written in the Book of Romans. And so, for the last two weeks, we've spent talking about. Justification. That's a big word, and we've talked about exactly what it means. And we're going to recap some of that this morning. So, justification, Paul lays it all out clearly in the chapter 3 of Romans. And Pastor Cody did, did an awesome, awesome job ex- exfoliating and pulling those scriptures out for us to be able to understand and grow from what's there. So we've had so much stuff coming at us that I want to recap on a few different things just to make sure we're all together because what we're going to start on today is Paul's is at the very beginning of Paul's justifying justification. <laughs> so he Paul is he lays out justification and now he's going to begin describing how it is valid. <clears throat> so, after the first three and a half chapters of the book of Romans, Paul has done an excellent job of convincing all of us, any, any human being to read the book of Romans. The first three chapters pretty much tell you how horribly desolate and depraved that we all are and how separate from God that we all really are. He did an excellent job. I mean, we were all, the pastor team, everybody here was joking. It's just like, man, it's just wrath and condemnation. 
But just like our video, our bumper video this morning, in verse 21 of chapter 3, that but now changes the cadence of the entire book. That but now is really the hinge of the whole Bible. And in verse 21 we see, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And that in itself is, is an amazing, amazing thing. So we move from there, and we'll go to verse 23 to recap there. So it's a familiar verse that we all know, for we have all sinned in what church? Right. We've all said that verse our whole lives. Pastor Cody also did an excellent job at really implicating what that verse really means. And so I've thrown up the slide here uh, to just rehab some of what he did. But we don't, it doesn't mean that we fall short of the finish line. We never even start the race. We don't have, we don't, we have no, we have no hope on our own merit. And we see that God the Father gave Jesus to satisfy the payment for our sins. And we remember Cody's water pitcher analogy, right? He had the giant pitcher full of water that symbolized God's wrath, and then he had the small vase beside it symbolizing Jesus. And if you remember, he poured the entire vase of God's wrath, well, pitcher of God's wrath into the vase of Jesus. And we know that every single drop of God's wrath upon Jesus for the sake of those who believe, every drop was spilled. And we learn that God cannot just pardon evil deeds and let the accused or us go free without any consequence because it defies his very character. Justice has to be satisfied. And you know why? That's like when we are watching something unfold and true justice happens and we all get that completed feeling of, ah, Man, that's what's supposed to happen. That came because that came from God. We didn't create that as mankind. The idea of justice came from God. And so after learning that truth, we learned that Jesus willingly saved us from God the Father for God the Father. I mean, in Hebrews 12 too, got it right here, tells us, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So like Cody alluded to last week, it wasn't some form of cosmic child abuse where Jesus was begging not to go and God the Father said, no, you're going anyway. From the beginning of creation, Jesus knew the plan, knew what was to happen, and calculated it at and did it from the very beginning. And he willingly laid down his life in joy. Chew on that a second. We learn that God did not set his justice aside because that would make him unjust, right? He didn't set it aside. He turned his justice to the only place that it could really be satisfied, and that was back upon himself, on his son. 
the only place that that justice could truly be satisfied. And verse 26 taught us that it was God who is both just, He's the benchmark, He is the line, He is just. He is why we have a definition of what just is supposed to be because it's derived totally from His character. And He is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So not only is He the bar, He is the only way we can get to the bar. And this is where it's really, really awesome, really amazing. Because because of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, God, the Father, can continue to be completely righteous, completely perfect, and wage war against every sinful thing while simultaneously pardoning, justifying, and fully redeeming the guilty through the propitiation of Christ. Right? And it is important to remember that it's not just a pardon. A pardon is something that when you get get accused of a crime, you get sentenced, you are found guilty, the marks are there, you are guilty, and then your punishment gets waived. Now there's a little bit of that happening in the gospel, but it's so much more than that. Through the grace given to us by God the Father, in the salvation, in the salvific work of Jesus. We learn he not only wipes the consequences of our mistakes away, he wipes the record of them ever being attached to us at all. And then even deeper than that, we don't just get our punishment and our record wiped away, And we don't just get ushered into heaven like the sin-riddled little servant who has to stay in the corner and is ashamed to be there and comes out only to serve the holy family and to retreat back into our shadows, just happy that we made it. No, it is so much more than that. We get to be in the family. We sit at the table. Now, I mean, like, I don't know if you guys understand really what that means, but think through any type of medieval TV show you might watch or if you studied history or if you just like those time eras where kings and things of that nature ruled. But so if you were a servant in the king's house, in retrospect, that was a pretty good job. That was a good place to be. You were comfortable. You were with the king. You knew you always had food. Now, could you go running into the king's bedroom chamber at nighttime and go in there and sit on his bedside, you know, sit on the side of his bed and talk to him about your rough day? No, you didn't have that access. When you truly live by faith in Jesus Christ, you get the bedside access as a child to the king. As part of the family, you sit at the table. There is an assigned seat for you at the table. I mean, like, that by itself is, could preach. You just sit down after that, right? And we learned last week that a really good way 
to just encapsulate all that in a solid statement is that Scripture alone tells us that by grace alone, through faith alone, on the basis of Christ alone, that salvation is for the glory of God alone. So man, what an amazing picture of what justification really is. And that, that is a very brief summary of what could be months of, of sermons to catch us up to where we're going to be at today. So I'm going to pray and we'll get into our text. Lord Jesus, thank you so much just for the opportunity to be a part of a believer body like this. God, where people truly love you and where things are really happening. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would just speak through the flea of the man that I am. Lord, that you would speak to your people, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're saying this morning, and that you would separate us from the knowledge of ourselves this morning and let us as purely as we can in our flesh gaze upon you and your glory and what it means that you've justified us as believers. And Lord, I now I just ask that you would increase and that I might decrease. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Paul delivers last week what some scholars would say that we learned from Pastor Cody was one of the most important paragraphs, if not the most important paragraph ever written. And being the masterful teacher that he is, and I love this stuff, I feel like I, I get to preach through a lot of these, but Paul's immediate response to probably the most important paragraph ever written is to immediately start building his case on why that paragraph is what it is. And he immediately does it with a rapid-fire series of about six questions that are the I-know-what-you're-thinking type questions. And I, I love it. I, I'm here for it. So we're going to take off in verse Romans 3, verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. Well, by what kind of law? By a law of works? No but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So right off the bat in verse 27, we see three of the six questions just bam, 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 right off the top. So the first question is our boasting. What becomes of our boasting? Well, the most important thing is to kind of dig in and figure out what boasting Paul's talking about, right? So we know in chapter 3 right now, obviously, it's written to the entire church of Rome, but really the way Paul's pinning the artistry of how he wrote this letter, he's speaking to a Jew. He's speaking to the Jewish mindset reading this letter in the church in Rome. And so what were they boasting about? And see, I also think it's really, really important this morning is, yes, it was written to specific Jews at the church of Rome at the specific time, 
but because God's word is living and constantly, constantly relevant in the present. I believe we, it's necessary that we glean from Paul what he is saying to what we would consider the religious people of the day at this time. So what were they boasting about? Well, they, they were God's chosen people, right? They've been, they've been with God from the very beginning. They've been, they were the ones that brought, that, that had to bring the law in. They're the ones that have been obeying and observing the law. They were the ones that had the covenants. They were the ones that were in the desert. They were the ones that were delivered from Egypt. I mean, they, they spent centuries, millennia even, offering continual sacrifice obeying the law. And so like with that mindset of they're God's chosen people. I mean, doesn't that sound a lot like uh, mindsets of church people a lot of times today? Well, I mean, we, I mean we've been doing this forever. This is the way we do it. This is what we're this is what we're digging into. This is why we're doing it. You know, all the law and everything that the Jew, that the Jews and the Israelite people lived through and had to be a part of. You know, I mean, how many of us have been like, well, you see it, you see, I mean, it's what splits denominations all over the place. Well, we both love the same Jesus, but you do things this way and we do things this way. So we're going to figure out how to divide here. You know, it's a modern day, that's a modern day thinking of just, you got to have it your way specifically. Now, big key points, absolutely, there's no distinction there. That's why we major in the majors and minor in the minors here at rest. And then, like I said, for the centuries, these Jew, the Jewish people had to do had to perform sacrifices and had all of this written instruction from the Lord that the rest of the world didn't have to abide by, and they felt entitled. How many of us today catch yourself whether you serve here, whether you serve in some other capacity in you know ministry? How many of you guys ever? start to feel a little high and mighty because of the amount of labor that you put in over somebody else in the kingdom. They felt entitled, right? Like they earned, they were earning their salvation and almost like it was just being given to the other people. And Paul says that all of that boasting is excluded. Every bit of it. We didn't earn the salvation. We didn't plan our own salvation. You didn't work your way into it. You had nothing to do with carrying it out. Nothing. And just to further kind of hammer that home, I got some examples this morning. The first one's for AB. So no one in this room would ever boast that they had anything to do with the Chicago Bulls when they dominated the NBA in the 90s, right? Nobody, nobody in this room is going to lay claim to any of that. What about, would anybody in this room ever boast that they were part of helping the Egyptians design and build the pyramids? No? Me either. What about, would anybody in this room boast that they were there in 1931 when George Beauchamp invented the first electric guitar amplifier? Yes! That's my MVP of this list for sure. No. The point is, is that much like the exact same reasoning that makes these statements I just said hit home for us, Paul is saying that in regard to salvation, we all have as much to boast about as these examples. Right? 
So this was another instance where we've seen it all through the book already. But this was another instance where Paul was just, again, laying the sledgehammer down to the Jewish people that the Gentiles have just as much claim to the gospel. The rest of the world has just as much claim to the gospel as the Jews did. And we see that at the end of verse 27 where Paul gets into the next two questions that are there. By what kind of law? By a law of works? And so he's confirming that the law of works that the Jews were boasting about in Romans 2, 17, which even that is, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, or whether that's verse 23, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. He's confirming that that law of works cannot put you in a right standing with God. He's emphasizing again the level playing field between Jew and Gentile, and that it doesn't matter if we attempt to obey the law or not. It has no bearing on our salvation. We see at the end of the verse, it's no but by the law of faith. So we see that again, Jew and Gentile are included together because of the law of faith in Jesus Christ. That's where the equality comes from. Even as Paul continues into chapter 4, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, verse 5 in chapter 4, he says the exact same thing again, just a little bit of a different way, just again to emphasize that that message isn't going anywhere. Romans chapter 4 verse 5 says, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteous. Solo fide. Faith alone. Faith alone. Not works. So we move into verse 28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And see, we see Paul using this verbiage, hold. He's saying, like, look, I'm building my camp here. I'm gonna I've already said this once. I said it in chapter 3, verse 20. I alluded to it in verse chapter 3, verse 21. I'm saying it again because I'm holding here. This is foundational. This is bedrock. He's saying like, yep, I've said it a bunch. Here it is again. I'm going to say it again to make sure that you get it. And so church, we have to understand. We have to understand that our salvation is not brought upon by being obedient. In fact, I would even say that the more you grow in wisdom of your salvation, the more you end up being baffled by the mystery of it. Like how in the world is it possible to inherit such a prize for nothing? And I mean, to even continue into that of how much you, me, us, how much we didn't earn it, 
we can go into Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. This is a clear-cut passage that can completely solidify the fact that we have nothing to do with our own salvation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So, how in the world can you have anything to do with something that happened before trees were here? You know? And I mean, I think, I think, I think once we get to the end of this, you'll understand why I'm harping on this so much because I think this type of mentality creeps into our life a lot easier than we think. It's really easy to sit here and say, oh yeah, I know I can't work my way into heaven. But we'll get there. We'll get there. So moving on to verses 29 and 30. And I chose to kind of read through these two verses together uh, just because it kind of solidifies the full thought for me. Verse 29. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised or the Jewish party by faith and the uncircumcised or everybody else, Gentiles, us, through faith. See, I love what Paul's doing here because the Jewish people knew that there was only one God in existence. The pious, the super pious Jew would have quoted that every day out of the Torah. So they know that. They know, absolutely know, that there is only one God. He is God. He is sovereign over everything. There is nothing that escapes his reach. They knew he was over both Jew and Gentile. And see, Paul's very cleverly using a method of throwing a truth at them that they were uncomfortable with, except that that truth was tied alongside to a truth that they knew very well. So what he's doing is he's throwing this football of truth. And so the truth's coming at them, and they know they have to catch it because they know part of it's true. But they're a little bit unsure. They're a little bit shaky on the other part. And so the real, the real thing that's happening here is that the Jews were struggling with the idea that saving faith in Jesus was all they needed for salvation. From a, from a mindset of somebody who has worked, who has constantly labored, who has constantly done everything they feel they're supposed to do. I mean, it's very easy to see where that sense of entitlement would get built from. I mean, yeah, it's really easy for us to sit here and bash upon the Jews of the day, but if you could... Strange thing for a pastor to say, but if you could almost put on your flesh eyes and see some of their reality in this text from when Paul was saying it to them without the illumination of the Holy Spirit bringing it alive, it'd be really, really easy to have their mindset, right? So they were struggling with that. 
However, they knew that there were Gentile people in this same church, in this book, in this letter. There were people in this exact same church that they knew were Gentile, that they could see were truly in a relationship with Jesus. They could truly see the evidence of God working in these Gentile people. And so they obviously knew it, but they're still struggling a little. So the problem for the Jew here was that the Gentiles never had the written law to follow. Yet there was visible evidence that they belonged to God. So how could they clearly belong to God and grow with Him if following the written law was the only means, was, was a means, the only means of being in a relationship with Jesus? So there's the conundrum. And so what Paul is doing is saying, hey, you know he's God over everything. You see they're walking with him, except you, you're still wanting to hold on to this law and this workspace thing. But you see evidence right beside you that these, these people are growing and they didn't have the law. They don't have the Torah. They didn't have the written word. They didn't have the family history. They don't have the, the Jewish culture. And it's, just, it's a really solid argument to point back to clarify the meaning of justification by faith. He's using these two truths to connect the reader from a Jewish mindset or for, from us today. He's using these to connect all this together for us. And so he even takes it a little bit farther in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. He talks about Christ crucified was a stumbling block to the Jews, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. And so even in that, in that sense, I've explained a little bit of it, but I mean, without the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, the Jews, and yes, you could say that throughout the entire Old Testament, it's very clearly to see that all that scripture points to Jesus. It's very easy to say that, to sit here today and say that. But at the time, again, I'm sure without the help of the Holy Spirit, it was very I'm sure it was a hard thing for Jewish people to chew on. They're like, wait a minute, we've done all this stuff for millennia, and now all of a sudden you're telling me because this guy came, and yeah, we saw him do some miraculous stuff. This guy came, and now you're telling me that this covenant is dead and that this covenant is now where our faith has to go. And so that's what Paul means by is a stumbling block. Just without the illumination of the Holy Spirit, this is almost impossible stuff. That's why the gospel is offensive. It's almost impossible to wrap your head around it without the Lord bringing it to life in your heart. And he says it's folly to the Gentiles because the Gentiles who've been off doing whatever they were doing the whole time, they're looking around and they're like, well, okay, so this, this nation over here that's kind of always been to themselves and they've had some seriously wild stuff going on through the history. I mean, like nobody could deny that, but, you know, so... They have always claimed to be God's chosen people, and then through their lineage came a man who did, did do some really miraculous, powerful stuff. But now you're telling us that that man that we never met, that we never saw, was actually the incarnate son of the only God who came in flesh form. And you're telling me that that is my only way to any type of salvation or eternal security. And so that's what Paul is saying here is this is, is just without the illuminating knowledge of the Holy Spirit, it's very easy. It's very easy for us to get tangled up in this stuff. 
Now, it might not be as full frontal as it was at this time in this church, but it's subtle. And we still struggle with it. We still struggle with it. I see, I love what Paul's doing here because he's accomplishing two things. He's really edifying the testimony of us Gentiles in this passage by continually using us and continually reaffirming that we get to be part of the family of Jesus. But at the same time he's doing that, he's also wooing the Jewish people into a true faith-based gospel by using the Gentiles' testimony to drive them toward it. And then Paul finishes his thought with the last question in verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So Paul is continuing his argument by asking if the law of faith we have established now totally nullifies the laws of the works, the law of works, or the original written law. So he's saying, okay, so the way the, the question he's asking is, okay, so great, we got this faith-based thing. We, we, we don't have to worry about putting our heart toward the works anymore. We put our heart toward Jesus, and we can just do whatever the heck we want, right? Of course that's not correct. Paul follows that up again with another emphatic, like it's literally the strongest negative that the Greek language has to offer. It is a no, not even close, not even close. It's not the correct way to think at all. What we learn is actually the opposite. That the knowledge of the saving faith that comes from Jesus gives us the strength, heart, and wisdom and tools necessary to truly obey and uphold the law. So when he says, he finishes that, that verse with, on the contrary, we uphold the law. He's just saying that a, a truly regenerated heart with saving faith is the only way that we'll ever uphold the law. Otherwise, we're back to not even being in the race, right? You don't spend your life serving the law to become good enough for Jesus. Jesus makes you a new creature so that you have what's necessary to obey the law and walk with him properly. I'm going to say that again. You do not spend your life serving the law to become good enough for Jesus. Jesus makes you a new creature so that you have what is necessary to obey the law and walk with him properly. Like I said, it's, it's a lot like our race analogy that we brought up time and time again. I think this is the third week now that that's been used but Jesus is the only reason we even get enlisted in the race to begin with. He's the only reason we can even step foot at the line. He's the only reason we get to participate. And then after he gets us in the race, he also sustains us and carries our hearts into obedience of the law as we're running toward the finish line. It requires us to continually go back to him in faith for everything we do. We're driven back to faith in Jesus alone. 
So this is where I really want to tie it into us today. So believer, how many of us, myself included, tried to earn our salvation in favor with God this week? Now, a lot of us probably wouldn't say outright that you've had those conversations. But if we really look back through our week, I bet you we'd all realize that we probably slipped into a little bit of that. Like, man, I just, you know, I was going to pray for this person, but man, I, I screwed up last night, the night before. I just, they probably need anybody else's hands on them but mine. I know that's stuff that happens. I hear it all the time. People struggle with. Now, there is a difference in being in sin and living in sin continually as a believer and struggling and slipping up. But how many of us this week have thought through that, thought through your actions and your processes and your deeds, and in some way, subconsciously, in the back of your mind, take that and think that it affects God's favor in your life or Jesus' salvation for you? How many of us condemn ourselves when we mess up or struggle to be perfect like our Heavenly Father's perfect, right? I know I too, you know? I mean, I can, I can totally, totally relate to that. And it's an easy mindset to slip into. It's an easy trap that the enemy can push us in. But really the truth is that when we think that way, it makes the gospel about us and about your performance and about how well you can perform the tasks that, the tasks that we're giving you today to grow into what Jesus has for you tomorrow. It tends to make us selfish and self-focused. I think it tends to feed into self-worth issues and people that struggle their whole life to, to have to, I've got to prove myself to be a part of this. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to do more than the other person so that I can be, I can be justified to be here. And when it comes to the kingdom of God, that's not on you. You know why? Because it's not about you. It's not about you. Your salvation is not about you. It is to bring glory to Jesus and God Almighty. We just get to be the benefactors of Him using and choosing to use us to show His goodness and His righteousness in front of everything that has ever existed. If the assurance of our salvation is always and forever embedded in Jesus, it takes away the enemy's ability to mess with us when we fail. Now, does that mean you want to continue walking in sin all the time and just like, well, God's got grace for me? No. Paul says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, right? There's a medium, there's a balance there. But it's not about your performance. It's about where your heart is. And if your heart is continually turning back to Jesus, to faith alone, in Christ alone, there's always opportunity. The Lord will change your heart. The Lord will correct your heart. The Lord will chastise and bring His children back to Himself. Now, if your faith is on you and your performance and how well you're doing, 
It's really easy to get mad at your neighbor. It's really easy to, uh, as a musician, it's really easy for me if my view of how well I'm doing comes from me, well, if somebody else gets up here and is a better musician than me, and my focus is on me and not on Jesus, it's really easy to get, you know, it's like, man, that guy's really good. You know, I mean, it's really easy to immediately get insecure, to immediately focus on myself, to immediately look everywhere else except back to the one who began it, who will sustain it, and who finished it. So believer, how many of us need to pause in our walk for a moment this morning and realize that our salvation really isn't about you. It's really not about you. You get to benefit from it. It's absolutely Jesus came because he loves you. It's absolutely a truth. I don't want to take that away. But it's it's much deeper than that. It's much deeper than that. It is for his glory that he saved you. There's so much freedom in knowing that Jesus enlisted us in the race and promises to continually give us the tools we need to run it. And he'll even carry us when our hearts are still in the race, but our feet are too fatigued to keep moving. I promise you, if you hadn't been there yet, you will. If your your walk hasn't gotten there yet, it will. There's going to be days where you're like, Jesus, I can't. I don't know. I don't know how to know what to do. I know my heart's not right. I know I'm nervous. I know know that I've failed so much. There's no way I can do this. Because I'm looking at me. It's because I'm putting my faith in me. I'm putting my faith in how well I'm following Jesus. When really, you've got to get that junk out of the way. You've got to get it out of the way. You've got to look to Jesus. And you know what? A lot of times when you're looking at Jesus, sometimes you're going to fall. Sometimes you're going to fall. But learn to rest in the complete work of Christ on your behalf. And again, I don't need to stress it over and over and over, but I'm going to again anyway. It is not about saying you have faith and living like you don't know it. It's much deeper than that. It's much deeper than that. It is walking in faith stumbling and struggling and continuing to put your eyes on the one who paid your way. So believer this morning, if that simple truth is something that you think subtly that you have crept, you just let subtly creep into your life. We're a performance-based generation. Everything statistics. There's data everywhere. You can look up and you, you just. Every, my job now is uh, so much of it now is analyzing data that gets collected. We're very, very performance based. It's easy to put yourself in that spot. So, believe it this morning, I would challenge you 
to take some take some time this morning in prayer. Pray with somebody, grab somebody, there'll be a prayer team down front. But I would challenge you to truly know this morning who your faith is in. Who your faith is in. And it's a constant thing. It's a constant thing. It's not something that you get one time and you never struggle with it again. It's something, it's a constant labor of your life. <coughs> so now, unbeliever, if there's somebody in this room who would absolutely declare, there's lots of different types of unbelievers. Maybe you're the unbeliever who says, like, I, you know, I showed up here for no reason. Um, maybe you did it to, I don't know, just so somebody that was begging you to come to church would hush. Maybe you're totally against everything I'm saying. Maybe you're an unbeliever that's just a little bit unsure, doesn't really know what you believe. I know we've talked through the gospel all morning, but I want to deliver it again. So there is a God who, just like the Jews believe, there is a God who is sovereign and he sets over everything. Absolutely everything there is for God. And He is good. And the scary part of that is that you are not good. You are not good. And God, in His goodness and in His mercy, knew from the very beginning of the foundation of the world that we would need help to reach the bar that he has set, which is perfection. And he also knew that there was no way that we would reach it. And so in that place, God sent his son, Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin. He sent Jesus. Jesus, who was on the throne from forever, took his deity and laid it aside and came to earth as the form of a man. He was 100% God, but he was 100% man. And he came to the earth and was beaten, ridiculed, and mocked by his own creation. So that God the Father, just like Cody's analogy last week, so that God the Father could pour his entire wrath, every bit of the wrath, the terrifying wrath of God, that that would be poured upon Jesus' head. That he would be the ultimate, the final atonement, the final sacrifice. And he paid that in your place. He knew your name from the beginning of the world. He knew your name. He paid the price for you willingly. He counted it as joy to suffer the wrath of Almighty God on your behalf. And so, unbeliever this morning, I just want to encourage you that you are in a building full of people who... Every one of us at one time, we're in your shoes and we're an unbeliever. 
And I can tell you that you might just think I'm some crazy preacher man, guy, pastor, whatever you want to call me that's up here just railing on. But I'm telling you now, it is the most important, critical thing in your life. You think your life is unstable. It will always be unstable without the cornerstone. Maybe it's stable for a little while, but it won't last. It won't last. Everything built on this earth without Jesus will perish. Everything. What any legacy you feel like you've built, anything, anything that's built without Jesus will not last. So, unbeliever this morning, if there's somebody here, I'm not really the bow your head, close your eyes type of fellow. I feel like the gospel is radical. I feel like the message is radical. And I believe the conversion is radical. And so this morning, if there is somebody in this building who is an unbeliever, who wants to speak to somebody, who wants to pray, who wants to walk through the scriptures, whatever the need is, whatever you feel that you need, I can promise you, we can sit and have those conversations. So this morning, is there anybody in this room who says, I don't know Jesus, but I think I want to? Drag it out. Just know this morning we're going to open up, we're going to finish the service with another worship song, and it's a time to respond. So if you need to pray, if you want to take communion with your family, if you need to speak to somebody, we're going to have the prayer team down front. I mean, like we, we play church every Sunday. And I don't even like using that term, but I'm serious. Like, it's not just a routine Sunday, guys. Every day that you are alive on this planet is another opportunity to serve. It's another opportunity to serve someone else. It's another opportunity to love somebody else. Every moment is an opportunity. Please don't think of this as routine or just another Sunday. If you are struggling with something today, deal with it today. Stop playing church. Stop playing church. Thank you.